What topics should more pastors be teaching on? Well, hop aboard the Bible bus for Dr. J. Vernon McGee's answer to that question as we continue our journey through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, and before we begin, let's welcome Greg Harris, the president of the ministry, who's here to update us on our home group ministry, this time in Nepal. Yeah, Steve, this is a country that both you and I have been to. Separately. Albeit separately, that's right. And I'm so glad because I didn't, I wasn't on the 13 hour bus ride. Oh, brutal. Um, (laughs) Toughest, toughest bus ride I ever made. Yeah. Well worth it. I was, yes, I was glad God called you to that. Uh, ministry. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> great because I got to see some of these home groups that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, Nepal. yeah, absolutely. And of course, Nepal, a, a really extraordinary uh, country. It is, well, not only the largest, it's the only Hindu kingdom in the world. Yeah. Now, in the past, being part of a Hindu kingdom meant that if you were Nepalese, you were a Hindu. Of course, there are laws on the books that say we have religious freedom. It's legal. Yeah. But there are, as as both you and I saw during our separate visits, there are tremendous restrictions on non-Hindu groups. Christian believers can be fined or even imprisoned for sharing the gospel. Yeah. I also had just a view of, of Nepal as being this nice, pristine place. You know, it's where the Mount Everest and yeah, all that stuff yeah. is. And in the cities, at least, it is Kathmandu, a tough place to yes. live. Yeah. And it's it's very difficult. But there's believers there that are meeting in home groups and and, uh, and growing in their in their faith of Jesus Christ. And here's here's a letter that talks about that. I'm very much interested in the program because since I have been listening, my life is good and healthy. Before I was totally restless, no purpose, no aim, and whatever I did try, I was not a success. After I started to listen with the pure heart, God has directed me to good acts. So now I believe in Jesus Christ and go to church and listen regularly. It helped me a lot in my life spiritual upgrade. That's an interesting <laughs> that's way to say it. something in the translation <laughs> there. This is the other thing that's great. I have now been baptized and follow the Lord Jesus as my life. Thank you so much. And just before we go to the next great testimony, let's let's highlight a couple things. Number one, we talk a lot about this. Hinduism worships over 300 million gods. Yeah. So when they say, I am now believing in Jesus Christ... There's a danger that they can add him to the 300 yes. million. And what we look for in these testimonies is some statement that it's he, they are exclusively trusting him. And baptism is that line yeah. to say, no, I'm with Jesus, not with the other 300 million. Yep. Uh, Steve, there's another great one. Why don't you uh, read that? Sure. It says, God has called me to serve him and his ministry. So now I am a pastor. I am not a theologically trained person, but I am able to get good training from through the Bible home group study. For many years, I've been studying with you and spiritual development has been wonderful. Now, as I received the home kits with all the programs and trainings, it is helpful to equip me for my ministry areas. I thank God for you as my friend and partner in ministry. Oh, man. I bet I bet your mind is going to our trip to Bangladesh. Yeah, and that little home group we sat in. Absolutely, and more than one home yeah. group. Yeah, but just being sitting in and seeing the different people there and seeing, uh, taking prayer requests. Yeah, and that young man. Bible. Remember, they were all sitting on yep. this huge bed. Bible of, open. Yeah, Bible open, and and you and I both walked out of that meeting and said that young man is going to be a pastor. Yep, and we're seeing that throughout wow. the world. Steve, we have time for one more short but power packed uh, testimony. 
I came from a Hindu background, and your program has discipled me in my faith. Hmm. Today, I publicly declared that I am God's child, that I follow Jesus Christ and have taken part in a public baptism service. And that is huge. That's something that I think we don't have an appreciation for here in North America. You know, you go, you're baptized, you're typically in a church, and maybe your one or two unbelieving relatives are sitting in the pews. Oh, no, my yes. friend, it doesn't roll this way when there's a public baptism. You go down to the community river or yes, body of yep. water, all these people are looking at you, and they're Hindu, and suddenly you're getting baptized and making a public proclamation that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It is a huge step. It really is, and, and we and we underlined this earlier, that it, this is what we look for in these Hindu contexts. Is, yeah. Are you are you only with Jesus? And that's what we see happening. Yeah. Greg, why don't you pray for us as we begin our study? Father, we never tire of singing your praises and just bowing in worship when we see the power of your word and your Holy Spirit at work in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for the privilege that this whole listening family gets to bring the whole word to the whole world. Bless us now as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's dive into our study of Psalm 9 through 11 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, friends, today I come back to the ninth psalm. We finished the eighth psalm last time. And I said as we came from psalm to a messianic psalm to the eighth psalm, another messianic psalm, we were just like going up a stairway or climbing a mountain. Now from here, that is from Psalm 9 through the 15th, and I guess that will be about six or seven psalms, we find another cluster of psalms that belong together. And actually, they tell out a prophetic story. And we were going uphill when we came to Psalm 8, climbing or ascending stairway. Now we're going to start downhill, as it were. And we'll go back down the mountain on the other side. And what we have in this section, we are getting glimpses of the Jewish remnant at the end time. And we see their suffering. We see the man of sin, the lawless one that's yet to appear on the earth. Now, this ninth psalm that we come to and the tenth psalm are very closely connected. There is a certain alphabetical structure here. It's an acrostic. It's not seen in our translation. It is in the other. And as a result, while you'll find that the Septuagint and the Vulgate, they put these two psalms together and consider them as one. And we have another musical term here. And most of these psalms are ascribed to David, by the way. David was the sweet singer of Israel. I think he was a great musician. And here we are told this is to the chief musician upon Muth Laban, a psalm of David. David wrote it, and this chief musician of Muth Laban, and What does that word mean? Well, it means death for the Son. And as we called attention in Psalm 8, Dr. Thirtle and some others have identified that title back with Psalm 8, by the way. But I think that we can identify it here, the death of the Son. And there have been several ways of identifying that to the life of David. And, of course, the important one would be the death of Goliath, the champion. And then, of course, others identify it with the death of Bathsheba's son. But it means death for the son or the firstborn. And I rather think that it refers to what happened in the land of Egypt 
in that night of deliverance, when there was the death for the son, death of the firstborn. And this psalm begins with praise, just as the seventh psalm ended with praise. Now, in the seventh psalm, so here in the ninth psalm, the praise is in anticipation of the coming victory, when, as the eighth psalm so beautifully predicted, all things will be put under the feet of him who was made a little lower than the angels. Therefore, we see here in this first section of this psalm a prophetic forecast of what earthly conditions will be when the Son of Man has received the throne and in righteousness and in peace. Now, with that thought in mind, notice the praise here that we have at the beginning. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. My, in view of the future deliverance that's coming, here is this great song of praise that the earthly people will join in in that day. Now, you have a picture of that, of course, in the book of Revelation, that great company out of the nation Israel that are there to praise God. The church will be there, 24 elders, a time of great praise unto God. Now, we move on into this, and here again we are moving, I think, into the time of that kingdom that's mentioned in the 8th Psalm, when all things will be put under his feet. Will you listen to this? When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou didst sit on the throne judging right. Now, the important thing today, Martin Luther, I think, put it like this, one with God as a majority, and that he was not so much concerned about having God on his side as making sure he was on God's side. That's the important thing here that my cause is right. Let's make sure it is. Let's make sure that we're on God's side. And now this is the time that's coming of judgment. Thou hast rebuked the nations. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. What a psalm this is. Listen to him in verse 6. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end. And thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorial is perished with them. Now, this is a very strong declaration of the judgment that is coming. And the question sometimes arises, is there enough preaching today of judgment? I would put it like this, that there is enough preaching of judgment of a sort. I listened to a sermon I have an opportunity now to hear more sermons than I've heard in years. And I would say two things. One is there are very few sermons on the subject of hell. Today, most sermons are sermons to comfort God's people. Actually, so many sermons are geared for those that seem to have some sort of a complex, folk that are just looking for somebody's shoulder to cry on. But the sermon I heard the other day uh, it was on hell but the bitterness of the man came through. And my feeling is that a man, before he preaches on hell, ought to search his own heart and make sure that if he's preaching on judgment and on hell, 
Does it affect him? Does he have a heartbreak because men are lost? I suppose one of the finest things ever said about Dwight L. Moody was the fact that on one occasion a man made this statement. He was told that Moody had preached a sermon on hell. And this man, an unbeliever, made this statement. He said, you know, I don't like to hear sermons on hell, but if there's any man that can preach on that subject, it's Dwight L. Moody. May I say to you, not only should there be sermons on that, but there should be the right kind of man to preach it. And I suppose one of the reasons that I never preach more sermons on that is just very candidly because of this very thing, that I think we ought to be deeply moved in our own hearts. Now, he makes it clear here that the enemies of Israel are all to be conquered, which means this is for the remnant that are on God's side. This is God's victory, if you please. And actually, what you have here, the death of the son, that firstborn in Egypt, and I think it takes you right down where anti-Semitism was born. It started in the land of Egypt. A king down there enslaved the chosen people, that nation. He tried to exterminate the whole race and frustrate the grace and purposes of God in redemption. And ever since that time, the nations have been Israel's enemies. They'll continue to hate them till the day of deliverance comes. May I say to you that today there is that feeling right at the present moment. Now, here we have in verses 7 through 12 here, the kingdom now is established, and the throne of righteousness is established. Listen to this. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And that's very important. My feeling is today that we're short on judges. My feeling is that there needs to be more judges who will follow the law and will always assess a penalty when the penalty should be assessed. Now, too many, I would say, soft-hearted, and I'm not sure soft-headed men today. And, of course, they're trying to be popular, and that seems the way to be. Now, righteousness is needed today, that which is right today. And the one who makes right is God. It's not what you think or what I think. It's God who divided the light from the darkness. I've never been able to separate them. I've never gotten up before daylight and waved a wand and brought the sun up. God does that, and he's the one today that when he says the thing is right, it's right, friends. And if you don't think so, you're wrong. <laughs> That's just the way it is. That's just as simple as it is. Somebody's got to make the rules. So he makes the rules since it's his universe and he's running it and he's going to be around a long time. I think he has that prerogative today. This is a tremendous section that you have here. Now, I'm going to have to begin to hit high points, as you can see, as we move along. And I come down here to verse 13. Now, we have here a picture of the condition before he comes to establish his kingdom. And what is it that we all need before he comes? Listen to verse 13. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. I don't know about you. I need mercy from God. And somebody says, but you say there'll be justice. Right. But you see, justice has already been established in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ when he bore our sins. And he's been made unto us righteousness. 
And what I need today is mercy. And mercy is extended to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer from those who hate me, thou who liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. And we need today more people to rejoice in God. Now, notice verse 15 here. This is a tremendous verse. The nations are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. And look at the nations of the world today. Even the great nations of the world, even our own nation, we have sunk down into a pit. We seem to be caught. That's the condition of the world at the present hour. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executed. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. And that's Higion Selah. That is a tremendous verse, by the way, here. And we find here the cry goes out, The wicked shall be turned into Sheol, that is, into death, and all nations that forget God. And that's a great principle that you can put down. This is a great psalm. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. They are today. Oh, they have the poverty program. But the man at the top seems to be getting it before it gets down to those who need it. The needy shall not always be forgotten. He's going to judge the poor. That's another thing. They're going to get justice someday, and they won't till Jesus comes. You know, we poor people ought to be more interested in the Lord Jesus. Because so many of those that are in poverty are turning to certain political parties, and they turn to certain political candidates. And this has no reference to any party at all. But my friend, I have news for you. They're not going to do much for you. They're all trying to get in office. And they're not really attempting to help the needy. The Lord Jesus is not running for office. He already has it. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's not really anxious to try to please any party or any group on this earth. When he came here the first time, he came to do God's will. And since he's God now and comes again, he's going to do his own will. And my friend, the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. They are expecting a great deal from man today, but only God can meet that. Listen to him, verse 19, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged in thy sight. And the nations are yet to be judged. The Lord Jesus gave a parable that the nations are yet to come before him. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. And there's some today that feel like they're operating in the position of God. What a wonderful psalm this is. Now, Psalm 10, that belongs to it in many ways. In Psalm 9, here, that Goliath, or Pharaoh, however you want to look at it, the death of the Son. He's merely a little picture of the Antichrist that is yet to come, Satan's man. And that means that he's to be put down someday. Now, when you come to this next psalm, Psalm 10 here, we have Satan's man. He's the man of the earth. And that means it's closely identified with this ninth psalm. And the wicked here, notice how he's described. 
And I'll just lift out a few high points here. Verse 1, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Now, what a picture that you have here. Now, notice this. He says here, The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. Now, notice there are two things that characterize the wicked here, pride and boasting. And you look around the world today, if you want to know who the wicked are of the great of the earth, they're filled with pride. They have no place for God at all. The second thing is they do a great deal of boasting. And I personally, I don't know about you, I'm not impressed by these men today, these politicians and world leaders that are always boasting of how they're going to solve the problems of the world. They remind me of that mountain that traveled and brought forth a little mouse. They boast great things, think they're God, and then they don't seem to be able to do anything. In fact, they do practically nothing at all. What a picture that you have here of the wicked. And this is a picture, of course, of Antichrist. He's the false Messiah. And you find that he's the one that is boasting. And he's identified in this psalm. I'm going to just move down and lift out certain things. Verse 4, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. God doesn't just get into the conversation and in the speaking today. God is probably the most unpopular person that there is in the world right now. And why? Because the wicked are in the saddle of this earth and moving toward the time when the sin of man will lead to the man of sin and to this final Antichrist. And will you notice as you move on down in this psalm here, verse 18, and I go right to the end, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. The man of the earth, that's Antichrist. You see the wicked with pride of countenance will not seek God. All of his thoughts are, there's no God. And we find that they deny the Father and the Son. And we find in all of this, what can man do? His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. That's man today, as he boasts of his prosperity and that the fact he does not need God. Now we come to a little psalm. That's Psalm 11 here. It's a psalm of David, and we are told it's to the chief musician. We do not know what circumstances, though, under which it was written. But, of course, it came out of the persecution and the trials in the life of David. And this is a wonderful little psalm. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. This is today what the psychologists will tell you, what many people tell you, sometimes the doctor, what you need to do is to get away from your problems, get away from here and go off somewhere else. What you need is a rest, get away from the present circumstances. 
simply is a bird to your mountain. Get away from it all. My friend, that doesn't solve the thing. A very wonderful housekeeper years ago in the South said to her mistress who was complaining and whining and she wanted to get away from it all. And she says, what are you trying to get away from? You want to get away from this beautiful home? You want to get away from these lovely children you have? You want to get away from a wonderful husband? No matter where you go, you're going to have to lug yourself along. My friend, you can never run away from yourself. How true that was. And they were telling David, flee as a bird to your mountain. I won't solve your problems, friends. I'm sorry, but that's not the way they're solved. I'm going to leave off there today and pick up right here in the 11th Psalm, and we'll be moving along probably a little bit more rapidly after this. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. You know, no matter how hard we try, we can't outrun our problems, can we? You know, a counselor might help us figure out some of our issues, but only God can reach into our hearts and meet our deepest needs. You can find out more at ttb.org by clicking on How Can I Know God? or call 1-800-65-BIBLE. Again, that's 1-800-65-BIBLE. I'm Steve Schwetz. Let's meet right back here next time as the Bible bus rolls through Psalms 10 through 12. God bless you today as you walk with Him in His Word. Jesus came home, unto Him I home. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. Our journey on the Bible bus today is supported by the prayers and gifts of fellow passengers as we travel through the Bible.